Backstories and side gigs of the research and insights pros that you trust. Today's episode, number 59, in fact, is Greg Park, whom I just met very recently uh, by way of my old colleague and good friend, Craig Rome at Ipsos. Now, Greg has just started at Ipsos. I mean, really just started. What's it been like two weeks, something like that? Maybe three. <laughs> Maybe three. Okay. Going on week three. So um, Greg just started as the director uh, within the market strategies and understanding group at Ipsos, but he has a really deep expertise uh, in particular in grocery insights, uh, having come most recently from Giant Food uh, and before that Aho, which is really cool. Uh, lots of changes I, I imagine in the grocery space over the last couple of years. Um, we'll talk about that, but uh, there's something else really cool about Greg. You know, while he was building up his research chops over the years, he was also shredding in a crazy cool <laughs> East Coast band called Pandas, uh, who put out a record, I understand, played for almost 10 years. Uh, and this band, I have to tell you, I've listened to some of the stuff. Um, there's no one like these guys. They live somewhere in the intersection of punk rock and hardcore and metal and progressive, um, it's just a whole melting pot of stew that's just crazy cool. So uh, look forward to chatting all about that and more on today's podcast. Welcome to the show, Greg. Well, thank you very much. I'm, I'm very happy to be here. Yeah, super excited to have you. So uh, I would like to start, uh, start with research. Right, so doing these two things in parallel, but um, kind of curious. Everyone's got a different story. How did how did you find your way into the world of insights and research and analytics? So uh, a little bit of a roundabout way, um, and and it, it it links up with my musical uh, heavy air quotes here career uh, okay. in a similar way. Um, I which is you know my music, you know. Uh, is mainly around like goofing off and having fun with my friends. And in the process, we make something that sometimes people enjoy. Um, but I, I went to college for uh, broadcasting and communication studies. Uh, and the broadcasting side was because I had spent, you know, my years in high school goofing around with my friends in what was essentially like AV class, right? Wow. So think like late 90s. <laughs> shooting stupid videos, editing them, and having it count for schoolwork. So I said, this is a lot of fun. I have to go to college, apparently. Um, so what's the closest thing to making dumb videos with my friends? This was all before YouTube, which because now making dumb videos with your friends is a very lucrative career path, which I am far too old for. It's been democratized as well. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it was, it was this broadcasting and comm studies thing. So um so communication studies so basically social science stuff um uh and then broadcasting was just like you know technical you know video production video editing um so i came out of college with you know with this you know weird amalgam of you know video production and social sciences uh and this is in central pennsylvania where i went to college in the lancaster area okay. um 
and I just happened to see a job listing for basically my exact resume. Uh, there was this little boutique um, research and innovation consultancy in Lancaster called Innovation Focus. They were working on um, basically a video mining platform, which okay. is now very accessible. Lots of guys will sell it to you. But at this point, it was like we were building it with duct tape and spit. It's like 2005, yeah. 2006, like yeah. automated transcription, all that stuff doesn't exist. Right. But they needed somebody who had some degree of, you know, social science background, but also could cut video. And I was like, hi, that's me. That's me. That's exactly me. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I went with them um, and, you know, gradually, you know, got introduced to more things, you know, ethnography moderation, focus group moderation, uh, a yeah. lot of qual stuff. Um, and then moved on to another, you know, another more boutique consultancy still in central PA, still a lot of qual. Um, and then I came to the Ahold family where, um, you know, so giant food, Ahold, um, you know, up and down the East coast food lion, giant food, right. Stop and shop. Yep. Um, and that's really where, you know, I, I really leaned into quant. You still doing qual, but you know, very heavy quant organization. And, um, and now I'm at Ipsos doing, um, you know, qual and quant and, you know, segmentation and, and those sorts of things. So yeah. I started with making dumb videos with my friends and now, you know, um, you know, pitching research projects to gigantic companies. Yeah, that's fascinating. So, so one, one follow-up question on that, I'm always interested to hear what people think about the difference between, let's say the client side uh, and the supplier side. So you been on both and now you're moving back to the supplier side. How, how do you think about that? So, yeah. Um, so one of the things, one of the reasons I went, I wanted to get off the client side, a little bit of work-life balance stuff. Um, sorry, wanted to get off the vendor side, came to client side. Work-life balance was part of it, but also, you know, when you're on the, um, when you're on the vendor side, especially where you're, you're not in like a retainer relationship, right. you basically have like, okay, this is my client and I sit with them. It's, you know, moving from project to project, uh, I felt like I was like, I'm not really getting any real depth of understanding from these things because right. you're going to do a project for Hershey and you're going to learn a lot about whatever you're working on. But then you kind of have to legally forget that when you move on to your next project with, you know, craft, uh, for example. Right. Um, so I wanted to get some depth. Um, and I certainly got that on the client side. Um, but I think, I don't know how much depth I got on the grocery industry. I got much more depth on Giant's particular business. Okay. Because understanding that inside and out was integral to like serving the business and, you know, asking the right questions. Um, but, you know, you become very soaked in what makes sense for their business model, what makes sense for their geography, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Sure. Um, so I think that the depth of what I got on the industry, maybe that's the depth I would have got on just, you know, doing two or three uh, vendor side projects for a, for a grocery retailer. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, becomes very parochial, right? When you are taking a deep dive with a very specific mm -hmm. uh, customer. Cool. Um, all right. So let's, that's what I want to know about. Um, pandas. Yeah. Food. Dude, that was something else. Uh, tell us about how that started in it. 
I've got to hear, uh, you know, some of your favorite experiences from, uh, from your nine or 10 years playing in that. Sure. So uh, I, I was not a founding member of Pandas, um, but I knew uh, Jordan, the drummer, um, you know, we went to school together, you know, we were, we, you know, we hung out, we were, we were friends. Um, and uh, Pandas was, you know, a little project, you know, Jordan, um, Connor, the guitar player, and, and pretty much the principal kind of songwriter. Uh, and then Mike, the bass player, they had been playing together since like, you know, high school. Um, but they kind of wanted to move on a little bit. So they wanted okay. another guitar player. And that was me. Um, uh, so I, I joined the band, you know, they, they'd been around for like maybe four or five years, but never really like, not really recording, not really playing out that much, you know, just kind of like a just for fun band, playing a couple shows, you know, making some EPs here and there. You know, sure. you know, if you know, a guy with a four track kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I joined the band and then like we immediately recorded an EP, <laughs> which was nuts because I mean, the songwriting was like nothing I had been prepared for. Um, uh, so it really forced me to really like really dial up my my playing and just thinking about songs in a different way, because especially the earlier songs, it's not like, all right we've got this riff and we're gonna play that four times. And then we're gonna do yeah. this riff and we're gonna play that four times. It's much more like we're gonna play this riff two and a half times and then sandwich that on the back half of this riff, which we're never ever gonna play again. And then, so it, it, it you know, it's it's much more nimble, agile and, and distracted, let's, yeah. uh, let's say. So really, I had to really develop a lot of things. Um, and then, uh, and then we recruited, a, we were just an instrumental band at that point. Um, and then we recruited our vocalist, Colin. Um, we were just playing a show in Baltimore at the Auto Bar. No, was it the Auto Bar? Yeah, it was the Auto Bar. Uh, that's cool for, I don't know, Baltimore people. <laughs> um, and, um, you know, we were playing a song and, and, you know, Colin, who was in another band at the time, we'd been playing together. He looked, he's like, I want to sing this one. And we're like, okay, fine sure there's no so he just kind of gets up and just like improvises like a frontman part for the song we're like <laughs> hey, maybe maybe we should get a frontman so we did and that really opened up a lot i think just because audiences like they know how to respond more to a band with a frontman and also he just had a lot of connections in like the baltimore and dc scenes <laughs> we were able to book a lot more shows and um and then we, and then we did that for a while, and you know, did did an album, a uh, bunch of EPs and splits and that kind of stuff. And um, and then you know, life kind of happened. Um, I, although I don't know that if if it hadn't, I don't know that we would have survived the pandemic anyway as a band. Um, but yeah, that was Pandas. Yeah. So, uh, so give us a little flavor, of like maybe a, a favorite story or two, or I, I'm curious to know. Um, Know, some of the other bands that, that you played with? Uh, so we, pl I think the biggest band we opened for was Silverstein, who were kind of in that emo screamo world. Yeah. Um, that was the biggest crowd we ever played for. It was very strange because, you know, we, we went up there and did our stupid thing. And then we're like, you know, you, you go back to the merch table and try to sell some t-shirts. Uh, but then like all these like children, <laughs> you know, I mean, I mean, at this point I was maybe like, 
uh, this is probably 10 or 15 years ago. So I was like mid twenties, but these kids are like teenagers, right. Who come to see this, you know, kind of emo band. They're like asking us to sign shit. And like, <laughs> and I'm like, I don't, you guys realize like, I, I'm going to just kind of ride my bike home from this. Like I'm nobody, this is nothing. You don't know what's going on. Um, so that was cool. Um, you know, we played it with a lot of more like underground and indie bands. Um, uh, I, I think the, my favorite band that we played for another band that no longer exists, um, Fang Island, who, um, were just this like incredibly, like everybody in the band, we loved them. We were just like ripping them off left and right. Um, and we opened for them at this tiny little club in Baltimore called Golden West. And it was just such an amazing experience because they were such a really like, um, they had such a positive vibe to the shows and it was just, just this amazing kind of like, I've never had a, I've never seen a band that had that same kind of energy and vibe uh, and just being able to like be right up there and like, you know, seeing them playing with them was, was, was really amazing. It was really a great time. Well, it's, it sounds like you were there at an interesting time in the Baltimore market because I know that they've really had a moment um, in kind of your musical space had another guest on here who was telling me all about, it was sort of a Baltimore file. You know, if it came from Baltimore, then it was cool. So. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I, the Baltimore scene was always uh, so great because you could be on this, you could be on a bill where it would be like us and then like a bluegrass act and then like a hip hop act and everybody in the crowd was there for every minute of the show. Yeah. Um, I always felt like the Baltimore crowds were always just like, whatever you got, if it's good, I want to be here for it. You know, other other scenes a little bit more like, I came here to see a metal show. Damn it, give me some yeah. metal. Um, or you know, that sort of thing. <laughs> That's me sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> That's a thing too. Um, okay, so let me ask just one last question about the band because uh, the thing that just really struck me listening to your music is this crazy time signatures, changes all over the place, which you really want to usually associate with punk rock. Um, but definitely the stage energy was, was full on punk rock. Um, what, what is it that you were trying to do? What, what were you seeking? I mean, honestly, we were just trying to have fun. Yeah. Like we, we, you know, that was kind of always mission one for us was to just have a good time playing the songs. So a lot of the reasons the songs are really all over the place is because that was what was like fun and challenging for us to play, right? right. It was, and, you know, we want to goof around on stage because it's fun for us. Um, but also, I mean, it, uh, there was a little bit of a strategic because like, I mean, so many times you go to like, you go to like a metal show or a hardcore show and it just seems like the band is just, like they're always just seem like they're angry and mad and I get it. Like it's angry and it's mad music. Right. But also like, like we know when we're on stage, we're having a time of our life. Right. Like why should we pretend we're not? Um, and why can't we, um, you know, one of my, one of my favorite bands uh, generally is, is a band called Foxy Shazam and they're not, they're, they're kind of a punk art rock kind of thing. Like, a little bit like Queen, if Queen listened to the New York Dolls more. I don't know. Bad description. Okay. <laughs> but one of the things I love about seeing them live is you've got six guys on stage and 
every single one of them is giving a frontman performance for the whole show. You could right. just say, you know what, I'm going to watch the bass player. And he's giving more energy and more like onstage performance than most entire bands give. And yeah. that's such a great thing to be in the audience for. So like, why not try to do that, right? Why stare at my hands the whole time? Nobody, nobody cares. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. Cool. So you've had, you know, you've you're got a foot in, in two different worlds, right? Uh, for a number of years. So is there anything that you learned from, let's say, music that you've applied to your day job or maybe vice versa? Yeah, um, I think, you know, one of the things uh, that, you know, I, I, an audience, at least in the, in the world I was in, the audience responds to authenticity. You know, I, I, not to say there isn't room for theatricality, especially, you know, when we're talking about heavy metal. I mean, like, come on, man, it's like corpse paint bullet belts. We know it's, there's some theatricality involved. And, you know, we would sometimes get dressed up and do little bits. Um, but I think that there's a, you know, people respond to authenticity and they respond to the, the more artifice you can strip away between you and the audience, the more you're both going to enjoy things right. to a certain degree. Right. I mean, that's not to, again, I don't want to shit on, on theatricality. Um, but, you know, and I think that that, you know, whether even just in my professional life, like, you know, moving past artifice just in conversations just professionally and just like look we're both people here we're both just having a conversation about how we're going to get through this project like let's let's strip away like okay you pretend to be a big strong businessman and i'll pretend to be a big strong businessman but no. let's why um and i think that also when you're dealing with other human beings like in a you know kind of a face-to-face -face research context too like like we're both people right? Yeah. Like the more, let's get rid of all of these boundaries between us about like, I'm going to pretend to be a very professional, smart man. Yeah. It's like, no, I mean, you're one of the reasons you're a researcher is because you've, you've figured out how to like understand people and then communicate that to somebody else. Right. right. And if I'm going to understand somebody, like we have to have some kind of connection. So let's stop pretending and let's just be people. Um, so that's a big part of it. Um, you know, get, authenticity. I think that that's what matters. And also a good skill for researchers to know when a respondent isn't quite being honest with you. And yeah. that doesn't necessarily mean you have to call them out on it, but you know, you have to think about, okay, they're being kind of performative in this moment. Now, maybe, maybe I want to interrogate that, or maybe I just want to sit with that and say, well, why did they feel like they needed to be performative about this? And what does that tell me? Right. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I think that's a useful skill. Yeah, I love that point. I love the point about authenticity. I think that's that's so important. Uh, like you said, in, in both worlds. So. Very cool. Yeah. Um, all right. So you have, uh, you know, you've been in a grocery channel for a number of years. Um, and now sort of broadening back again at Ipsos. Um, it's kind of an interesting background considering the pandemic and all that good stuff. Mm -hmm. Curious to know, as you sort of look at the research world today or maybe into the future, what do you see what's important or becoming important? Well, I mean, I think that uh, speed is, yeah. it, it seems like uh, 
the patients that, and I'm going to say clients, whether we're talking about the actual clients or, you know, if you're an internal role, internal clients, uh, the patients that people had for, let's call them traditional market research timelines seems to be going away. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and I think that's putting a lot of pressure on, especially qualitative research, which just right. takes, takes more time. Um, now, luckily the virtual tools are catching up, right? They for, we, we were forced to, to figure this out because of COVID, because you're not going to sit in a room with six strangers for a focus group anymore, are you? Um, um, and there's a lot of, you know, there, there's a lot of things that those virtual tools bring to the table. Um, you know, it does really cut down timelines because I don't have to fly to Minneapolis to talk to six people who live in Minneapolis. And, you know, um, you know, you, you can, you can access these much more quickly and much more cheaply because we're not buying plane tickets and meals anymore. Um, but I also think that a lot of those virtual tools, they're so new and, and we as researchers don't quite fully understand all the ins and outs of them yet. Like one of the things I've noticed, especially when you're dealing with Zoom or Teams or whatever, is most of us learned how to be on a Zoom call at work. And so that's, we, we come to, to Zoom, we come to teams with our work self, which is a certain kind of self, um, which is a little different than the kind of self I'd get if we were sitting down at your kitchen table for, you know, for an in-home interview. And I don't think we fully un, uh, unpacked that yet. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a really interesting insight. I haven't thought about that before, but as I... Kind of go through my head and think about those experiences. Yeah. And I think we also have to think about, you know, I think it's not to say that like traditional focus groups, traditional in-homes are like free of bias. Um, you know, like um, obviously if you're going to do an in-home interview with somebody, it has to be somebody with a home uh, and, and with the, you know, the, uh, authority in their home to bring strangers in and talk and, and yeah, that screens some people out uh, and et cetera, you know, focus groups, people who can take two hours out of their day to come sit in a room with you. Um, but a virtual focus group over Zoom requires a certain, a certain, you know, level of hardware in the home, a certain level of comfort, et cetera, et cetera. There are those things. Um, and yeah, I'm not sure we fully fully digested them as a research community yet. Yeah, um, I think you're, you're spot on about that. Cool. So, so this is a podcast, right? Um, and I know that you have a podcast as well. So I want to I do. a little, little bit about that. Um, but let's start with uh, curious to know what other media could be podcast, could be something else. Did you turn to for inspiration professionally or personally uh, or enjoyment? Uh, well, in terms of podcasts, so I don't typically, you know, podcasts I listen to mainly are, I listen for like news and political commentary. That's just the kind of stuff I like to have. So, um, so in that, you know, it's, you know, what do I listen to most regularly? Probably, uh, Chapo and Majority Report with Sam Cedar. So those are podcast wise, um, in terms of like musical inspiration, um, that's really tough because on one hand, like you want to listen to things to give you ideas. On the other hand, you don't want to listen so much that you're just ripping somebody off. Um, right. 
but um musically i've been like my current kind of musical project uh which doesn't exist in the real world that anyone can listen to yet but um been kind of looking into more like you know atmospheric uh vibe based stuff so i've been listening to a lot of like doom and black metal um yeah i see (laughs) throwing the goat uh hail satan um uh but artistic inspiration, honestly, oh, and I, I hate saying things like this, but like nature, like I, I like to get out and, you know, go for long hikes and trail runs and stuff. And there's something about the silence and the stillness that sure. brings me something. Um, professionally, um, I try to leave the job at five o'clock. Um, um, but um, I also like to go out and just, I like to see kind of passively how other, um, and again, I'm still kind of in retail world, like how other retailers right. are doing their surveys. And, you know, yeah. all of a sudden the pin pad at the checkout has a survey on it. And I'm like, oh, that's awful. Um, <laughs> and trying to, trying to suss out from those little, little interactions, like, okay, what does Target care about? If they're giving me right. this survey, what, are, what do they care about? What are they using? You know, and I, I, I kind of like to, you know, do that kind of like detective work a little bit. Cool, cool. Makes sense. All right. So this is the Rock and Roll Research Podcast, right? And um, I am dying to ask this question of you, uh, having heard your music and just <laughs> got some ideas of what the answers might be to this. No. Um, but very important, very important question. So you're stranded on a desert island, Greg. Uh, you have three records at your disposal of your choosing to keep you company for the rest of your days. What are those records? Okay. First one, I'm going to cheat a little bit. Um, the first one is... Everybody uh, tries to cheat this question. So, so <laughs> I wanted to say the album Alaska by Between the Buried and Me because it contains the track Selkie's The Endless Obsession, which contains a guitar solo that to this day makes me cry every time I hear it. Um, but I don't really like it as an album. Uh, but I feel like I would be remiss if I didn't mention Between the Buried and Me. Uh, but I'm going to pick the album Colors. Okay. Because I generally consider it to be their best work, but this is like progressive, you know, technical metal um but it came out like kind of right at what i would call like panda's like most creatively fertile time and also right around the time where we were like doing the most touring playing the most shows so like i have a lot of strong nostalgia associated with that of like just like the best years of the band and also it's a phenomenal record um but it doesn't have that solo on it so that's how i cheat okay (laughs) duly noted (laughs) yeah uh so the next one is because i felt like i again if i'm on a desert island it can't be all metal um (laughs) why not not? okay no i I get your point i get your point sometimes you know sometimes you need a break um sometimes you got to bring the heart rate down uh so that is um the album No More Shall We Part by Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. Oh, yes. Yes. I love that album. Yeah. yeah. Uh, not, not generally like the critical consensus on the Nick Cave, but um, 
it was probably for me the first album of his that I really like that really clicked for me mm -hmm. um and you know just when I think about like which Nick Cave record has the most um like songs that I just like love it's No More Shall We Part so awesome. uh he was actually the last proper show I saw before the pandemic actually he played the anthem in dc he doesn't tour oh. the states that often so i was like i gotta go whatever happens i gotta go right. who knows how many years he has left uh, incredible live yeah yeah i mean he's been at it for five decades now so <laughs> but yeah great great performer um and the last one is uh it's by the band yob y-o-b uh our our raw heart uh i think he meant like 2018 but like every time i put it on i'm like oh i feel like it was like this year um yob is uh and mike shite they're i mean he's basically the band um but as a guitar player and a songwriter like um he's kind of like my my mentor right now even though he doesn't know it um <laughs> um but and, and you know people who like Yab will tell you that it, it, they're kind of like a doom metal band kind of like a sludge band but um there's something about their performance something about their songwriting that has this kind of spiritual dimension that is so rare in wow. in metal um beyond the kind of performative spirituality of like you know the hail satan stuff <laughs> um but like there's the genuine uh connection there and wow. also um uh, once I started to kind of unpack what he was doing on the guitar, um, it really has just like completely just like blew my brains against the wall of his approach uh, to technique and the instrument itself is really like, uh, I'm falling in love with the instrument all over again, if that makes sense. So yeah, uh, our raw heart, everybody should listen to it. It's, it's, it's pretty incredible. Well, I, uh, I haven't heard that. So uh, I'm definitely going to, to check that out. Um, you get major bonus points for having two-thirds metal on your desert island <laughs> that, uh, that puts you in some rare company of the mm. 59 uh, podcasts I've had so far. So uh, that's awesome. Great to hear. Excellent. Um, thanks so much uh, for, for joining me on the podcast today, Greg. Uh, I do want to say one thing. I'm, I'm wearing this Minnesota shirt because I'm repping my hometown. I, I actually have a gig myself on Saturday oh. night uh, with, uh, with my punk band, Chumleys. So um, I'll be talking to lots of metalheads while I'm there. So I'm going to ask them <laughs> about this record. So <laughs> I, I mean, it's, it's there. I mean, they're not completely underground, but you got to get a couple layers down. Like you got to get from Neurosis to Paul Bearer to Yob. And then there's a couple more layers down. Like once we get to Bellwitch and we're really talking about Doom, but you might not, Yob might, might still be a little, a little, a little cult. Awesome. Awesome. Super cool. Well, thanks so much for your time, Greg. Uh, I'm super glad we met. Let's definitely keep in touch because I think we've got some stuff to talk. So <laughs> thanks so much. Rock and roll. All right. Oh, right. It's the audio medium. Rock and roll.